0: Hey guys and welcome to episode 3 of the Judo Talk podcast. everyone, and welcome to the third episode of Judo Talk. And in this episode, I talk to Ben Fletcher. Um, now, Ben Fletcher is an Olympian. He's won World Tour medals, um, and he's just a good bloke as well. And within this episode, we talk we talk about what it's like for athletes at the moment who are obviously having to go and compete on the World Tour, trying to get to the Olympic Games. Uh, We talk about his recent injury where he snapped his leg. And also we talk about how athletes have to make difficult decisions at times, okay? So Ben is an Olympian. He's trying to qualify for Tokyo, Um, but it's not been easy for Ben. And we talk about a couple of decisions that he's had to make within his career um, to give him the best opportunity uh, to succeed. And I think it's a really great interview with Ben. And I thank him for his time and his honesty. And I think it doesn't matter what level you are, what level you coach at, whether you're a parent, I think these are issues that elite athletes have to deal with. And yeah, I think, well, I'm going to stop talking now, actually, because I think it's really good and I hope you guys enjoy it. And I'll speak to you guys at the other end. Hey, guys, welcome to Judo Talk. And today we've got a very special guest. Today we have Ben Fletcher, who's agreed to have a chat with me. Ben, how are you doing?
1: I'm very well, mate. Thank you very much for having me on.
0: That's right. How's the leg?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's getting better, mate. Um, Yeah, I had surgery on it a couple of, well, nearly a week ago, um, and I'm making like little improvements every day. Um, I'm walking around on crutches pretty well. Swelling's um, going down day by day, and I'm getting more range in it. So for the first week or two, they basically wanted me to get the swelling down, try and get as much range back as possible, and try and minimize muscle wastage in my in my thighs um, mm. just because that that's something that will be really difficult on the other side for it to um, to rebuild that. So those were the main three things. And then after, I think later this week, I might be able to do a little bit in the gym in my upper body on my, on my upper leg um, and then gradually build into the full rehab program.
0: Yeah. So for anybody who's not aware, Ben, you competed out in Israel, didn't you? Yeah. You're in Israel. And was it your second
1: match? Was it your... No, it was my first match.
0: First match. Uh, what what happened? Then?
1: So um, it was a close fight with one of the Serbian boys. Um, two shooters apiece. Went into gold to score. Um, I felt like I was edging the match and like trying to put on pressure. And the the guy, he just did a like, pretty innocuous attack. I just went in for sort of like a drop card over in my lats sort of situation. And my leg got caught between um the heel got caught in place and then like his knee sort of smashed into my shin and I broke both my tibia and fibula
0: yeah no from the I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share the video because it's awful <laughs> uh yeah. but yeah if anybody's that way inclined you can I'm sure you can find it online it did look like it was painful then um
1: it was, it was one of those mate where honestly like I think I'd taken some paracetamol and that in the morning um, just because my, my, my hands were like hurting and that sort of thing and I'm knocking on a little bit now so um, just to get me through the day but it honestly didn't hurt as bad as you'd think like it, yeah. it was um, it felt like a lot of impact I sort of fell over and was a bit like what has just happened and then next thing I know I've lifted my leg up and halfway down my shin it's just falling over to the side and Sweet. then I've just been like "Ah, oh. no <laughs> um, and then before I knew it the Doctor was the one holding it. Um, The referee was just, the referee was really good. He was just chatting to me and just like, don't look down. I was a bit like, mate, I've already seen it. (laughs) I've already seen my leg, like, um, and yeah. And it was a bit of like a a malaise, like a bit of a, like, uh, just next thing I know, I'm on a stretcher in the medical room out the back, then you're in hospital, then, you know, and it's just, yeah, like spiralled from there, really.
0: Yeah, I, always, I think if I was the referee, I might have vomited on your face, I think, if I had seen that. I, I'm really not good with stuff like that. What's it like? So obviously you're in Israel. What's it like when you you know you've got a bad injury and you're you're stuck in a hospital in a foreign country, miles away from family, and I suppose it's even worse in the current climate. What's it like there?
1: Well, I, I, it was one of those things where, I think, like, this might sound silly, but I think I got injured in the best country I probably could have. Like, yeah. in terms of COVID-19, most of the Israeli population's been vaccinated. So, mm. like, 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 the COVID risk was pretty low. I think they were more worried about me bringing it in than anything. <laughs> like, like <laughs> why are we bringing this guy in? Like, so, um, that is that is what it's weird the things that cross your mind. So, that did cross my mind that, like, look, like, cause technically you're in a bubble when you're fighting in these tournaments at the moment. And we obviously had to break the bubble to go into a hospital. Um, but also like the doctors were so good, like that, that really put me at ease. And there's been a lot of things through this whole process that have really worked in my favor and put me at ease. Um, so the doctors were so good, um, like the guy, the doctor who was there ran on straight away and straightened my leg and, you know, when somebody takes hold of a situation like that and you're, at first, Mm. I was a bit like, what are you doing? Like, (laughs) my leg's hanging off and you grabbed hold of it. Um, Mm. And uh, yeah, so he's grabbed hold of my leg, but then immediately he had seen it and he was talking to me and the IGF doctor's come in like an older bloke and was just a bit like, where does it hurt? And the guy basically told him to go away and was like, you don't know what you're talking about go away please and then he was talking to me he's like and immediately he was talking about time frames like xyz um you're going to go to my colleague at this hospital it's 15 minutes away this is what we're going to do and this is like within five, 10 minutes of it happening and I was just immediately um felt a bit at ease because you know everybody was so competent you know Mm. and it's yeah, I think in very different you could be in very different circumstances, and I don't want to name and shame any countries, but I've been to a lot of countries before where immediately I thought about it in the hospital, I was like imagine getting injured there. You know what I mean? Mm. Like the duty of care would not be the same. People, you know, the health service might not be as good. You know, and and that's all all of the things that which really could make the difference between you know um the injury being a lot longer or not. You know, they were talking about because I was considering getting surgery in Israel, but the problem is the country was closed, we were getting shuttered flights in and out. So if I got yeah. surgery there, I'd have missed my flight out. So that means I wouldn't have been able to get out till the earliest of the 6th, 6th of March. So then it's like where do you stay? Um I paying for hotels but then also it affects the the aftercare. So so now, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to see my surgeon again, and I'll see him again. If you've seen a surgeon in Israel, how do you then go and? You know, it it's, it makes things a lot more difficult. So yeah, yeah.
0: So how does it work uh, on the tour now? With because obviously, you're saying you're in bubbles, like what's the process from you leaving the UK? Traveling to the country, getting all the tests. What what goes into goes into the, the care of the athletes to make sure that you're able to compete, but also not passing COVID around.
1: Yeah. So at the moment, um, the protocol is you have to have two uh, PCR tests uh, within five days prior to departure. So and th- those two tests have to be forty eight hours apart. Um, mm. Upon arrival, um, you have to... Well, they ask you to fly as direct as you possibly can. Um, Yeah. Then upon arrival, um, they test you and you have to quarantine in your hotel room until you get your negative test. At that point, you can... Then you can go around the hotel um, and you can go to the the venue, but you can't leave the hotel. So you're effectively... You're not really in the country. You're just in a hotel and then in a venue. So they... It, it, and it genuinely, genuinely does feel like a really safe environment. I mean, the only people who are coming in and out are the hotel staff, you know, and you know, there's that for me, there's a certain amount of, um, like how, how much can they do? You know, if you're going to be hosting tournaments and you can mm. debate whether they should be doing tournaments and, and well, not now at the moment anyway, but if they are going to do them, you know, how, how do you, how do you regulate that? So it does feel like a really safe environment overall. Um, and then the day of your weighing, you get another test. So within, so it would have been within a week before competing, you've had four PCR tests. So yeah, and and all of the people, the other people in the bubble will have had that. So and then if somebody was a test positive, they look at like seat maps on the planes and who you've come in contact with. And there have been a few. I think in Tel Aviv, I think there was fifteen cases of people testing positive and then people yeah. having to stay in, in Tel Aviv. So I think they're doing... If, if they are doing the tournaments, they are doing a good job of um, of keeping things, you know, a, a, as best they can. Um, but then again, obviously, the, the argument for me is whether or not they should be hosted in tournaments at the moment.
0: Hmm. I suppose how... Like, how's that affected the, the preparation for the tournament? Because obviously, when when you fly out to most places, you'll get a chance. You'll you'll get to the hotel. You'll have a little walk around. You'll go to the to the warm up venue. You'll be able to get some good preparation up to the tournament. What's what is the the preparation like now? Is it any different to before you step on the mat?
1: I I think the whole process beforehand just seems more stressful. There's so many more, um, there's so many more hoops to jump through. Like Israel was the the key example. And then like uh, Doha, we went to in Qatar for the, for the world masters. Like most countries don't want you, you entering the country. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of admin you have to do beforehand. So there's a lot of, you know, (laughs) there's a lot more admin to do. There's all the tests, which, you know, the easiest option with the tests is to go to a drive-in or a walk-in clinic and do them. um, Or you can, you can send them off, but we had problems with sending them off. Curry is getting lost, missing like test things. And then, yeah, so there's, there's just a lot more stress and a lot more um, difficulty uh, that comes with doing the actual competitions. Like it, it, there's just a lot more to it. And then the, you've done that much more beforehand, it just feels like there is a lot more pressure on the competition itself. When you get there, it just feels like a competition. But I'd say like the beforehand, there's a lot more stress and um, emphasis on getting things right to actually get to the competition. Like say if I was fighting Paris before, I'd fly in Friday night, stay over Friday night, weigh in Saturday, fight Sunday. And like, just do what you want. Whereas now mm. it's like um, with Israel, you had to, because they put on chartered flights, you had to fly in a week before. So you're there a week before. So then that, you then change your training process. But then also there was no direct flight. So you're flying through France. And at that point in the UK, you couldn't fly, you couldn't transit through um, unless there's like compelling or um, special reasons. So you have to do more admin. And it, it just adds a lot more, a lot more to it. So there's just, so many more hoops to jump through and a lot more a lot more things to do and with that there just becomes more pressure on the actual the event itself
0: yeah and how much are you responsible for and how much does Ireland do for you do you have to do most of it or um
1: so with with Ireland we have quite a small team but like Kieran Ward does a hell of a lot of and tries to take a lot of that stuff off of us and will really try and um bear a lot of that himself but there is obviously a lot of things that we have to do ourselves you know and he can't do it all um and we are all grown-ups we're all all adults so you know we should be able to do our own admin and our own things ourselves you know so it's um you know he's he's got a lot of things on his plate as well so you know it's yeah I suppose
0: it's something that it's really easy to forget isn't it like we think uh about these major events going on and the athletes going to them, especially, you know, like yourself, in our minds, I, I think that you, you you have somebody that deals with that and you can go out and focus on being a judo player and competing and giving yourself the best possible chance of, of winning medals and going to the games. But actually, it seems like you're, you're still having to manage a lot of things around the actual performance side that maybe detracts from that.
1: Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're probably right. Um, but I think in a way, mate, I think that's kind of the times we live in. You know, like, you have to be quite flexible in terms of training, in terms of every, everything at the moment. Like, you know, for example, my preparation for Israel, we were supposed to be going to Valencia for two weeks. I've um, got a good relationship with Valencia Judo Club and they've got a really good training base there. Um, that was all booked. And then they... they uh, close the borders so mm. we basically a whole trip was cancelled from there I, I had an invitation to go to the training camp in Antalya in turkey so we were looking into that and everything was like going through to be booked and then turkey changed their legislation for entries from the uk and you could only go indirectly and so that fell through and then i ended up going to hungary for a training camp all set set up all all ready to go i got to the airport on the friday oh sorry um, I, I was meant to fly on the Thursday. My flights got cancelled. The Friday, uh, Lufthansa, they uh, uh, rebooked me to fly from Heathrow. I got to Heathrow on the Friday morning and they went, sorry, Germany's changed their, their things. You can't fly because you're outside the Schengen agreement. You can't fly via Germany. I said, but I'm I'm just transiting and I've got two negative PCR tests and stuff. And they said, you can't do it. So I then had to get in an Uber from Heathrow to Stansted to get a direct flight to, to Budapest. And it was mm. just all, it's just, there's like, and that's for a training camp, you know, so there's just, it's just the times we live in, I think at the minute, mate, it's just like, if you really want to give it a go, um, you know, you, you, you kind of got to try and be as flexible and as open to the difficulties that come with, COVID, you know and and ultimately like the tournaments are going ahead so you either try and embrace it and find a way around it or you, you don't do it
0: yeah so what would that say so what would that look like for you because obviously you're trying to qualify for Tokyo you're in a position where you would go say you miss those tournaments hmm. where what would happen to your ranking where would you end up so yeah would you fall out of the the position to go
1: Well, I'm I'm kind of in that position now with my leg, you know. Mm. Um, Hopefully I've got enough points and hopefully I shouldn't. um, I think there's about, I'm about a thousand points from dropping out, which is is a good margin, but obviously you wouldn't um, be resting on your laurels um, if you didn't have a broken leg. Um,
0: I guess as well, you've got the problem that, that's really different from other Olympic games is like all the tournaments are super points as well, aren't they? Yeah. You know, before the games. Yeah, hundred
1: percent. And it's not, it's not, I don't know. I don't know if it's helped anybody that they've, so I think last year there was the tournaments that were left. I think there was probably, I think there were three Grand Prix, a Grand Slam, a European's, something like that, and then they've just made them all Masters, uh, sorry, all, all Grand Slams and Masters of Worlds, and everything, the points is just so much higher. It just mm. makes it so more, so much more difficult, but I don't know if it's, you know, maybe I'm looking, looking at it cynically, but I think the IGF are probably making a lot more money out of it that way. <laughs> you know, like, for, I to, suppose... host a, to host a Grand Slam is a million dollars. Wow. So, I mean, you know, Please, if somebody, um, if I'm talking out of turn or I'm saying something wrong, but it's a million dollars to host a, a Grand Slam. So I understand. I'm sure the IGF have, you know, it's been difficult for them and, you know, they make money from doing judo tournaments. So mm-hmm. how would you make the most money in the short space of time? You put on a World Championships, which is even more. You put on a Masters, which is even more and then make the rest Grand Slams.
0: Yeah. yeah, I suppose it's most probably worth just going into a little bit more detail. For anybody who's listening that's not really sure about the point system, basically for qualify... You correct me as well, Ben, please. Qualifications for the games, like each level of tournament, you'll have a maximum amount of points that you could gain for winning a gold medal. And basically, the higher the level tournament, the more points you can gain. And what what you were saying was there, there were... What, what, what tournaments were left, then, did you say? Though, I think so. COVID? The tournaments
1: finished, they started getting cancelled because of COVID um, around mid-March last year. So there was a Grand Prix in Morocco that got cancelled and then there was a, a tournament in Ekaterinburg in Russia that got cancelled. I think there was two more Grand Prixs, in, one in Georgia, one in Turkey. There would have been the European Championships, the Grand Slam in Baku... And I can't
0: remember what else there was. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So effectively uh, a Grand Prix gold medal is not worth as many Olympic points as a Grand Slam gold medal. Uh, But also a Grand Prix gold medal might not be as much as a bronze medal, you know, so the points are, are really, really different. And if... By what the IGF have done is by making everything grand slam and higher, there's a lot more points to be earned, aren't there? And actually, that it actually the people who aren't in qualification actually then get a better chance of qualifying because Mm -hmm. there's more points to gain, aren't there? And that's sort of the question here. Like, how does that affect you, knowing that you know you you're now looking at the fact that you're in a safe qualification zone with a thousand points, say? There's tournaments to be still to be run, and you've got a broken leg and you can't compete for those points.
1: Mm. Yeah, mate, it's, it, it's tricky, isn't it? It's um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the moral of the story is don't break your leg five months <laughs> out from the Olympic Games. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it makes things a lot more difficult for um, somebody like uh, Nathan Burns, like who also fights for Ireland. It's, it's great because one result gets you further, further in and gets you more further down the line. But for somebody like me, who's, who's in a good position, but can't compete, it, it does make things difficult. You know, like and rightly or wrongly. I mean, like you can say that it's a, a clip, a, a level playing field for people, but it's not really, you know, like a lot of people can't compete. A lot of people like, say, for example, um, south american countries at the minute they can't get to europe like nobody's gonna yeah. fly them you know um people from Oceania, for example i think it's gonna be they couldn't get to uh, budapest for the grand slam back in october and also there's just the the difficulty of being able to train as normal and that sort of thing and you you have seen a lot a lot of people getting injured um mm. myself included um and i'm not i'm not like bitter about that at all it's just you know ultimately we do a contact sport so there's a risk of getting injured all the time but you do have to ask questions that like if more people are getting injured is it because they have not been able to get to the the same level of training and there's basically a year off of tournaments so Mm -hmm. there's a a lot of questions there and you know I don't know whether any sort of sport um, arbitration for sport are looking into it at all or anything like that but you know there's there's definitely questions there to be asked and just sort of say like look guys like you know are we doing the right thing like is this fair for everybody or
0: i suppose yeah. that's the difficult thing isn't it and because the olympics is going ahead at the moment mm. judo has a responsibility to run an event at the olympics i guess i'm guessing there's contracts and stuff
1: yeah.
0: so I'm guessing they're thinking that actually they need to do something. If you look at sports like football, uh, even like MMA, like around the world, there are sports that are going ahead, and I suppose they have an obligation to to run events. Yeah. But I guess the question is, do they have the responsibility to run them in the same way? Because we all know anybody who's done judo how hard judo is, and because it doesn't particularly have a season, like actually players like yourselves like who are maybe higher up in the rankings and stuff, you have a little bit more freedom of choice of the events that you want to go to and you can sort of base your training around those top events, whereas up-and-coming people pretty much have to go to all the events, don't they? Yeah. Because they just need the experience, they need the fight time. And by making it so the grants, they're just all high-level tournaments, you can't be as selective, I guess. You have to just get in the tournaments and make sure you're not losing points.
1: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And yeah, it's exactly that. Like there's in the um, Olympic qualifying group, you'll see like some people really pushing to be top eight and be seated. You'll then get people who are like in a good position, maybe trying to get into that top eight and then towards the back, just trying to stay in qualification. And then outside Mm. a hungry group of people trying to get in and for some, and depending on where they are in those groups, the tournament structure will change. So if you're already one or two in the world, like you, you know you're going to be seeded in the top eight. So then it all gears down to performance, mm-hmm. you know, to performance at the Olympic Games or the World Championships later this year. For the, the people outside of qualification and the people just inside, it's all about protecting your points. Like I was in that exact situation um, before Rio and it's just like go to every tournament you possibly can try and improve your points and
0: stop other people who could overtake your points. Mm. Yeah, I, I suppose as well, but being in the top eight is actually quite important, isn't it? If you, I, I think I read a stat somewhere that basically if you're in the top eight, two of the medals at the Olympic games go to two people seated in the top eight. Mm. The next medal goes to somebody in the top 16 and then outside of the top 16, it you know, there's another medal. So effectively, if you're not in the top eight, your chances of winning a medal significantly drops.
1: Mm. Well, it's 50%, so, isn't it? It's, yeah. I, I, I mean, for me, like, I, I don't know. Like, and this, like, I know a lot of people are really, um, they really think highly of being in the top eight and they put mm. a lot of onus on it. I've never been, I mean, I've, not, I've been in the top. I think I was in the top eight briefly during this whole the whole qualification. So, you know, maybe you know, I'm not the best person to talk to. But my view is the benefit of being in the top eight is you you're likely to get an easier first fight.
0: Mm.
1: But also, you could have number nine first fight, who could be the Japanese person. They just not put that much onus on, you know. And it and yeah. it's a little bit like, for me, you've got. To, go into an olympic games um, or a world championships knowing you've got a good chance of being everybody or having the confidence in yourself that you can go in i think worrying too much about the top eight like don't get me wrong it's a good thing and if you're in the top eight great but if you're if it's the difference of like doing a load of other tournaments instead of like focusing on something else I, I really wonder how much the, like, for example, like Ono is thinking about the top eight. You know, do you <laughs> know what I mean? Like, and not everybody's in the same position as Ono. Like,
0: yeah.
1: he doesn't care. He's going to go in and go, I'm going to go and win the Olympic Games. Do you no. know what I mean? Like, it, like you know, he, he hasn't had to qualify because he's Japanese and everything. You can look into that. But I think it's the mentality of like, oh, I'll have a slightly easier first fight, you know, and 50% of the people in the medals are in that. 50% of people aren't. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You know, and it's it's one of those things. The Olympic Games is a very special tournament, you know. Like, weird things happen. And, like, if you look at 66s in Rio, like, it just fell open, like, the draw. Yeah. Like, you're seeing, like, um, Pollock, the, um, the Israeli boy, lost to um, one of the African lads. He, he's a good lad, don't get me wrong. Like, but, like... Puliev lost um, the Russian and it opened up and Fabio Basile came through it and, and won it. And, you know,
0: mm.
1: yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be, a lot of people put a lot on the top eight and it, and I think athletes then put a lot of emphasis on the top eight because their coaches have. And if you're in the top eight, you get, so I know for, for example, for the Canadians, if you're in the top eight, you automatically go if you're outside yeah. of the top eight and there's somebody else in the Olympic qualifying, you'll fight off. Oh, so
0: right. yeah. I think
1: that's why some people put a lot of onus on it. Whereas, I think it's one of those things, for me, it'd be like, if I'm in the top eight, great. Likely to get an easier first fight. But ultimately, you've got to go into mm. that, that tournament. If, if you're going in thinking, oh, if I dodge that person, I dodge that person, that could be... <laughs> I think it's the wrong mentality to have, mate. You know, and that's coming from somebody who's not won a major medal. But like yeah. for me, you've got to go in thinking, I'm good enough to beat everybody here if I fight well enough. Let's have a go. Mm. You know, like if, if you're going, oh, maybe if I dodge this person and maybe if that person beats him, and you know, I don't think that's the right mentality to have. You've got to go like and you know. Everybody has different opinions, but that's it's me, you know, my opinion
0: on it all. Well, yeah, I think you've got to find out what works for you. I know some people, um, they process it better if they've got a clear route. If they know, right, if they can do this, this and this, that works best for them. And I, I know people that just think, well, I've got my judo. I'm going to concentrate on what I do. Yeah. And if I do that, I'm all right. Yeah. You know, I think Ono's most probably the, the best example of somebody who just <laughs> can, yeah. can pretty yeah. much turn it. Well, yeah. Well, it definitely seems like that, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I suppose Japan would be a weird games because they don't need to focus on where they are on the rankings. They can just pick. So you are more than likely going to get a Japanese that's not seeded as number one or number two like they normally would. Mm. So I think that would be interesting within the draws just to see how that unfolds.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and like the Japanese do strange things, don't they? Like they, they could just chuck in like an 18 year old we've never heard of. And he goes on and wins it. And you just go, Oh, you know, and he could have the world number one first fight, beat them. And like what, a like that's going to mess with your mind, isn't it? Like this unknown Japanese boy comes in. And you know mm. he's going to be mustered because they've selected him. Do you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, he's going to come in. And you're like, oh my god. You know yeah. the crowd's going to be behind him, and like, yeah. So. So yeah. There's. Yeah. How
0: I, I, how does it how does it affect you thinking about? Obviously, in March we went into lockdown. I know last March last year, I should say. How does it affect you thinking about? your training your process is there any part of you that thinks that the games might not go ahead how do you approach it how do you get free because essentially doing judo is your job Mm. okay you are that's that's the only thing you need to concentrate on at the moment and you cannot do it and you there must be part of you thinking well is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? You know, you're, you're in that stage of limbo and now tournaments have opened up that you're obviously a lot more positive, but how does that affect you when, when COVID come into play?
1: Yeah, mate, it, it is like, I'd be lying if it doesn't, didn't say it affected me. Like it, yeah, it, it, it makes everything more difficult and it, the, the, although things aren't fair as normal and I don't want to seem like I'm like feeling hard done by things like things aren't like, um, like a level playing field anyway, but things are even less of a level playing field, if you know what I mean? So like if I'm going away, normally I'm with training camps all the time, I go to train abroad. Um, and that's just not been able to happen. Um, so then that then filters into the the competitions and how much you, you can do. Um, and it really does make you think, like, what level am I at? Like, Because there's no there's no way of, t- like, testing yourself to the normal level day in, day out. And, you know, that that is tricky. And it is you, you just got to try and do the best you can with what you've got. Um, and, like, through my experience of judo, you kind of just got to – you know, you, you've just got to do the best in the position – that you are in and you know that's got to be and as long as you know that you've done the best with what you've got in a situation like you can like you know be happy with that if you know what i mean i and, and i know that might sound like defeatist in a way but i think there's no other way to be like if you if you know that you've done everything you can with the the, the situation you're in like what else can you do you know like mm. for example like and, and I know that I have done the best with the situation. It, and it is definitely frustrating when you know, for example, it's different in other countries. Um, and like fair play to them for being able to train the whole way through and do do what they need to do. But, you know, it is frustrating when you know that other people have better access to Randori the whole way through. And you're going to probably be... Lacking because of that, or when it comes to tournaments, you're you're not going to be in the same kind of shape as those people could be, or what you could have been in the past.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? Like even pre-COVID, a big part of Britain and Ireland's development was training camps and travelling. Yeah, you know, you're not getting the base of your randori from the UK you know what i mean that and that and that's competitive round dory mm. so you don't even before cut you don't have the luxury of just going into a bubble and because how many people are there in this country as good as you of your size that can challenge you mm. you know that day in day out going to give you a really good the level of round dory that you need yeah so i guess that's that's the tricky bit isn't it you know you're at home I get on social media you can see lots of countries still training, still doing round dory, still, you know, they they've managed to get a a system in place ready to perform, and you're there thinking, Well, I've got an Olympic Games to prepare for. Yeah. You know, I've got and what can you do? And you know, what what has got you through this? What what have you managed to do to to keep you working and pushing forwards?
1: Just like just in the knowledge that at some stage, things are going to open up. Where, mm. And it's probably been quite good in a way that we had no idea when that was going to be. If somebody said to you in back in March last year, you're not going to compete until November, then you probably would be able to like relax properly and then build again. But it's kind of one of those where you've kind of had to be ready the whole time in case things open up. So that sort of uncertainty... But uncertainty I don't think is a particularly great thing for people, but it also it makes you have to stay on your toes and be like, it could there could be tournaments next month. You know, you don't know. Right? So I've got to stay fit and try and do as much as I can with what you have um, in case things did, did open up. I think that was the only way that I was dealing with it. And and I also, like, I was always trying to, like, I, I the thing that I did enjoy was you rarely get the time to really... Um, get a proper strength and conditioning block in and i Mm. did like enjoy the the thought of actually being able to sort of sit not sit back but just sort of like relax into just training two times a day most days and getting a really good block in um and just you know trying to take the positives from from the situation where you know yeah and just trying to find those positives where you can go I can get really fit, really strong. And then there will be more opportunities, hopefully, for judo. I'll go and do those when I can. Um, like in October, I went and saw my coach in Germany, Jürgen Klinger, um, and got some more access to judo there. And things were opening up. It Obviously, then, um, as the winter drew in, uh, more and more uh, regulations came back in. But, you know, it was it was more more just trying to do what you can with the time you have. And just go. This is what I've got. This is the situation. It wouldn't make sense to, for example, move somewhere else. Um, and yeah, just do the best you can, really, mate.
0: Mm. Yeah, I suppose that that's the underlying message for everybody, isn't it? Just trying to make the best of a situation. And I think um, I think you're right. I think actually, I know from personal point of view, not knowing has helped in regard of just it helps you just keep ticking on doesn't it yeah just helps you like you could because you can't go all right well I've got six months to and then we'll be all good we can sit back and relax I think the the uncertainty of not not knowing actually creates that element of yeah being prepared
1: I think it's also like in general like it's perspective with it as well like and like the whole way through it's like like people were like, you know, judo felt pretty small in the grand scheme of things. Like when people are dying from COVID and you, you don't know how long this is going to go on. And especially at the start, like we no idea how many people could die and how bad it's going to be. And it was one of those for me, it was a little bit like, OK, like, you know, as much as I love judo and as much as I think it's a great thing and it's my my job, people are dying. You yeah. know? And like ultimately, like there's bigger things to you know, bigger things that uh, you know to, for the world to concentrate on for, for now.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I suppose so. Well, I suppose so. Yeah, I think you're right. Um. So Tokyo, if Tokyo goes ahead and you qualify, that will be the third Olympic Games for you, won't it? No, be, be it. my
1: it would be my second. I um I got I was selected for London, but didn't end up going.
0: yeah. Oh, Rio. Yes.
1: Um i was i qualified and went and then it yeah it'd be my third
0: so when when you got selected for london you got selected for team gb didn't you yes and then what how did it come about that you you moved from uh from great britain to ireland what what was the story behind that
1: so if 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 we start with um 2012 like it was a similar situation to what we're talking about with japan like I was selected, or pre-preemptively selected, um, based on I got bronze at the Junior World Championships the year before, um, mm. and what like, was seen as like a quite a good up and coming I think I was 19, 19 or twenty at the time, um, yeah. as like a like a player who like for the future. Um, and with it being a home games, you could you could select as many people. Well, not as many people. You could select um, one in each weight weight group, and like uh, the ninety kilo blokes at the time were obviously. Like great level athletes, like with Matthew Percy and Winston Gordon, Um, Mm. but I think they thought, you know, I could be one for the future. So maybe with those lads coming towards the end of their career, they'd they'd select me. Um, And yeah, it was it was a real surprise to me. (laughs) Um, And in the end, I wasn't able to go because I didn't have the the right criteria. Like even though you're a host nation, you can only have to have gone to a minimum of two like world tour events. Now, I'd been to one, yeah, and, I remember, and then I hurt my knee. Um, I got quick surgery on it and then got back. But so effectively, British Judo selected me on um, they, they were trying to uh change with uh, the IGF the selection criteria that because I've been to the junior worlds, that's pretty much the same level they're saying as yeah. the, the as a world cup. Um, so I was pre-selected for that uh did most of the the prep for it but then like it all fell through um I think it's like five six weeks out so
0: yeah I remember now and because was it their own selection criteria Hmm. basically they had set the criteria um that you had to have done x y and z and because they didn't select you for it was it
1: it was the IGF's um criteria with the IOC Oh, okay, so, right. So th- they had set that as a minimum criteria, and apparently it went all the way up to the IOC, and the IOC were like, that's the minimum criteria. Like, we've mm. set that as a minimum. It has to be, you know, fulfilled.
0: So could they could they have got you to those events? Was it just an oversight or...?
1: Well, yeah, well, it, it was one of those where I was due to go to another one of those events, but I, um, I damaged the cartilage in my knee. So I, I went to, I think it was... Um, the World Cup in, in Prague mm. and then was on a training camp and hurt my knee but there was no like it was one of those things where I had no, I was like nineteen twenty. I had no thought of going to the Olympic Games if somebody was going you could definitely go to the Olympic Games or you know like there was like Matt Percy and and uh, Winston Gordon who in my mind were like dead set for going, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, They're like you know and like both me and Jürgen, my coach, like never even really thought about it. Do you know what mm. I mean? And then when it all fell through, then um, people started, started saying like, you should have gone to this. And you and I was a bit like, well, how would I ever, how would I ever I expect if you had said to me, like, thing was, I was part of this like um, larger squad called the Olympic squad, which mm. is like, that might sound silly to people that I didn't think I was, uh, could get selected from that but there was probably like four or five people from each weight group in that squad.
0: Yeah. And
1: like, nobody sort of said to me, like, make sure you go to another event because down the line, like I was that year, I I went to European cups and just because that was like my natural development from being a junior to being a senior. So I could have gone to them, but there was like no onus of like, you have to do it because you could get selected for the Olympics. Hmm. Like, I remember I went to the European Cup in Bosnia. I went to where else did I go? I can't remember. It's a few (laughs) years ago. But it was like, do you know what I mean? Like I could have done it, but it was like it was one of those where it fell through. And then it was like, oh, you should have gone to this. And it was like, well, hang on. Like, what? How? How would I know that I was going to get collected? You know. And then it was like, yeah. Like I think then then it became about people's egos and um, people trying to not look bad and trying to shift the blame and ultimately people ended up with a lot of egg on their face and mm. me being and like well,
0: yeah. I suppose as well, like you can't you can't blame where when you were a select you cannot blame Winston for saying, well actually no, I wanna go. This is you know, I've met the criteria that you know and it's a really this is one thing I find hard as a coach, like to to fully understand you two were both in completely different parts of your career at what point do you think right this person say like Winston that could have been his tournament to medal like he could have be he was good enough to do that Mm. but likewise you potentially could have been the person to storm through like a bazier or somebody like that you could have been the person and getting that right I think must be such a hard thing to do well to know when you need to prioritize younger athletes uh, and to prioritize your older athletes because, you know, older athletes do medal. You know, the experience could have been the thing that gets them through or your pure enthusiasm. And, you know, just the fact that you're, you're ready to go, you're buzzing and that could have been the thing that got you through.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, 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 it's like, that for me is in like the coach's work and the experience of the coach who says like, I think this person because of X, Y, and Z. And then Mm. when, when you are that person, that position of power, if you get it wrong, then you, it's one of those, you live or die by the sword then, Mm. you know, you, you have your opinion and you, you, you select people, deselect people because of that. If you get it, great. If you get it right, then great if you get it wrong, then, you know, potentially your job's on the line. But that's, that's for me what, you know, how it should be. Um, And yeah, it was, it was one of those things Like it was like for Matt and for Winston, like they put in complaints about it and they were completely well within their rights to do that. And I think the people at the time were a little bit like put out that they did that. And that's almost why it got looked into it looked into the every letter of the law in terms of the selection criteria, And then I was deselected because of that. Mm. And um, yeah, it was one of those things where you go, well, you know, it's written in stone with the IGF and the IOC. And I think people thought they would be able to through their own contacts, be able to change things. And that wasn't the case. And then ended up that, you know, then people started then blaming that I hadn't gone to world cups and this sort of thing. And I was like, <laughs> I'm, like I'm 19. Like, you know, why, like, <laughs> why what, what, what am I being, you know?
0: Yeah. I suppose ultimately that's not your responsibility. You can't read their minds. And if that's something that they were really considering, it was, I guess their job to ensure that you were in a position to be able to, to do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's, you know, I, I, I think it's also like at the end of it, you know, it, if it had have gone through, gone through, and everything had worked, we'd never have thought about this. But when hmm. things go wrong, then you know people start clucking and panicking and think about reputation, and then, and, and then the situation that unfolded unfolded, you know. Yeah. So it's it's like, um, yeah, but it's just, just how it happened, mate. It's just you know it's unfortunate. It was unfortunate for me because there was a certain amount of negative things that came from that but you know um that you know i think in that situation you can then you can definitely sink or swim um and i i very easily could have um just decided to give up on judo i remember yeah. like i vividly remember being at training and just thinking why am i here like i don't want to be here yeah. and like Yeah, I'm not even really sure. I'm not trying to sound like a a hero or anything at all. I'm just trying to be honest. Like, it's just, I gradually found reasons to want to continue and do judo. You know, it was, Hmm. it was um, uh, like uh, Sandra, Jürgen's wife, has taken sessions and her sessions, like for anybody's who been on them knows they're particularly fun and they're particularly like, there's like different types of randori and like games, but they're like all judo specific. I remember being on one of them, which normally I'd love. And just being like I hate this why am I here mm-hmm. but yeah I like th- there's certain certain things in my career like with that I then set a goal to get to the the 2014 Commonwealth games um, and ultimately got injured there but both uh, got injured beforehand but then I think those things they they pushed me to to really make sure I got to Rio and, and it, it, it's difficult to, to think about things when, like, you know, because, because things can change and be very different depending on any, anybody's career. But I, I really think that ultimately, like, I'm, you know, I'm, I've not had, like, a bad upbringing or something like that. I, I sometimes wonder what the motivation for me was that I had to get, get through. And, like, going for an Olympic qualification is really difficult. And like Mm. making sure you do qualify and it was really touch and go with Rio whether I would have got there. So I I think those things like, obviously you wouldn't ask somebody to select and deselect you from a home Olympics and dislocate your kneecap three weeks out from a Commonwealth games. But there's always going to be certain amount of good that comes from those situations, depending on, you know, if, if you find a way back out of it, you know, it's very easy um, and I'm not trying to be motivational or anything along those lines, but if you have the right support networks around you and the right people around you, you will manage to get through them. And if, if you want to get through them.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think there's something not really considered when everything's going on, say with the selections over 2012 and your injuries, the emotional consequences on, a, on an athlete, which it's too easy to forget that, you're a person mm. and the the emotional consequences of of maybe failing to get somewhere or uh you know feeling an injustice or what support networks did you have to help you through there you know because that I, I imagine that's got to be so so important
1: yeah um mainly mate like um I remember, I remember with uh, London being sort of pushed into having sort of like a psychologist. And like, it was one of those where it's a bit like, I was young, I, you know, it was all a bit of like a, like a crazy, it is like, I don't know how to describe it otherwise, other than saying like, it was just a crazy time where you just sort of go like, what has happened? And now I'm been sort of spat out at the end of this sort of situation. Mm. um but honestly mate it was mainly just friends and family helped me you know and like co- my coaches down in bath and my friends down in bath um who helped me get through it uh I didn't actually work that much of a psychologist because it was a little bit like you don't know the situation that well you don't know the yeah you don't know me you don't know the the position I'm in and why I would be upset about it and it just felt a little bit like with that, they were sort of ticking a box as like a duty of care kind of thing. Um, whereas I hadn't really asked for it. You know, yeah. it was it was just one of those where it just felt like uh, they were like, oh, we've mucked up here. Should we, you know, get him to see a psychologist? Because then it, 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 it looks good. Um, but honestly, mate, it was mainly just, well, time, like time to get, you know, got me into... Um, you know into a uh, different situation like friends i also moved uh, moved up from 90s to hundreds um mm. and that just like gives you new goals like i could spend a lot more time i was in the gym trying to put muscle on and um yeah it just gave me different i, I guess i don't know if it would have affected me like with the scars of being in that same weight category still and everything going on there but um it was kind of like a, a fresh slate and to, to try again and to try something new.
0: And was that ultimately what led you to think about moving to Ireland? What was the transition from Great Britain to Ireland? What was that around?
1: Yeah. I mean, no, it wasn't that it was, it was a separate thing really. Like there was, I, I don't know if I still had like a, a distrust for the system or um, because there were still some people still in the system. And I just, I don't know, like, those sort of, um, that it, it, it sticks with you sort of thing, you know? Like, I'm, mm. I'm saying like I'm, I'm good with it now and I'm over it and I don't necessarily hold any grudges on people, but it sort of it sticks with you, that sort of experience, you know? Um, especially, like, when I was, like, 1920, you know? So, um, but the actual change to Ireland was a, a completely separate situation. It was after Rio. Um, they had had the National Centre in Walsall, for I think a couple of years at that stage, I'm not entirely sure on dates. And they said after Rio that everybody would have to relocate if you wanted to be funded. Yeah. Before that, it wasn't what that wasn't the case. You could have a an athlete personal award um, if you're outside. Uh, you could be selected for tournaments, but after Rio, that would all be cut. You had to be um, at the national center in Walsall. And I'd been in Bath, so that would have been 2016. So I'd have been in Bath for seven years at that stage, and I was like, like, I moved to Bath because I thought it was the best place for me, and it, it and it remained to be at that stage. And I was like, why would I move to an, uh, a centre which is brand new, it's un, untried, untested, um, and it and it wasn't necessarily that I had anything against it, and like I had friends there and people who'd move there, but it was more the fact that I really believed in the, the, the situation and the place that I was in Bath with my coach and my training partners. Um, and also actively liked being there. My parents mm. owned a house there. I wasn't paying rent. You know, there's, there's so many things where I was just like, there's no reason for me to move. Like yeah. I've gradually been making uh, progress, like from being a junior world medalist to qualifying for the Olympic games, winning Grand Prix medals, winning World Cups at that stage. Got uh, sent for the Europeans. And I'm like, you know, as a heavyweight, somebody normally would peak later in their twenties. So I think I'm on a good trajectory um, to to make something for myself later in later in my twenties, especially with um, like British athletes t- tending to peak later in their twenties. You know, like yeah. because because you can, you know, especially the men who come to full time training later in that sort of thing and i was like why why would i move you know like there's everything for me to stay there and at the time like even the coaches there sort of said like you know it's not necessarily even ready for you like mm. it's it's more of like a junior center which will become national center and i was like well so why am i moving there and how can you try and justify telling people that you should move there when it's not even ready
0: yeah like
1: I- so and i was like this the whole thing sort of felt like the athletes or like myself hadn't actually been like the reason for it moving there. And I was just like, I don't want to be there. But because of that, I want, I, I, most of all, I wanted to stay in Bath. But, but that basically long and short of it is that I didn't, I, I got my funding cut and I had to find ways to self fund. So for that year I self funded. I, I was working quite a lot. I managed to um had uh, quite a lot of help from people to find some like private sponsors. Um, but the thing is with you working alongside training a lot of the time, I find you don't um, you don't work enough to make enough money to really fund yourself, but then you you're not training enough or uh, as as ha- how you should be, you know, to, to really be at the level you should be. So it's it's one of those things that after that that year I thought of the worlds in Budapest in 2017. And I was just like, I remember the build-up to the world thinking like, this isn't working, this isn't yeah. like, this isn't where I should be. This, I need to change, like something. Um, and I had a conversation with the performance director afterwards, and just sort of tried to say like, look, this isn't working. Like, I, I mean, I'd got some results that year. Like, I, I, um, and I think a lot of that is because I was happy and I was, you know, I was, I was trying to do my best. Like, I got bronze in the World Cup in. Uh, Minsk and beat, like, Gazimov, who was Olympic silver medalist at that stage. Mm. Um, got silver in the uh, Grand Prix in Cancun. And I, I did have some good results. I kept some level of form, but I remember thinking, like, this isn't sustainable. I can't continue to do this. Um, and at that point, I had a meeting with them and just sort of said, like, look, is there some grounds that we can come to where... Because you've said to me, this, it's not ready. It's not ready for somebody like me um is there somewhere that i come i don't know like one week a month or something like that or like i i, I can do that I, let's have some middle ground or something and it was effectively it was like you come and you get funded or you're not so at that, at that point um i decided to uh change and fight for ireland and megan my sister and also nathan burns had already changed over to fight half my family's irish and it was a great opportunity to be able to to fight for Ireland if I could and do they offer you the support that you need now yes yeah like the support couldn't be better like um it's very like a very honest close working relationship it's like very you know it's um any like anything they can they can offer me they do you know and it's not like a criticism necessarily of British Judo or the system or whatever, it's just, like, it's been really, really good with Irish Judo. You know, like, from the word go, like, I felt... Um, it's going to sound, like, maybe a little bit, like, attention-seeking, but I felt wanted, you know what I mean? Mm. And, like, people... I remember I, I, football players and rugby players, you hear that all the time, like, the, the want that somebody wants you to be in their team. I, yeah. I felt a little bit like, and just being honest, because I know other people felt like that a bit as well... Um, like, if you were self-funding, you were sort of like an outcast from the team um, when I was still fighting for British Judo, and I felt like that a little bit, and, you know, people can take or take or leave that or do what they want with it, but that's how I felt. As soon as I changed over, I felt part of a team and felt felt like everything was being done to do the best we possibly could, you know, and, like, we haven't got, like, all the money in the world, but I, know, I knew that, and I trusted, and felt that everything was being done for me that that we could or that we had the resources for you know so i'm like mm. british judo without doubt has more money than Irish judo but you know i felt like we were you know doing everything we could with the money that we we could do and it was being put into me and i was um i've then felt that i could do everything i could to try and get better and, and perform
0: and And do you think mentally that just enabled you to be in a a lot stronger position to kick on to the next level?
1: Yes, definitely. And I think with the performances after that, like shows, like don't get me wrong, it wasn't like I wasn't near the level. Like like I said, like in twenty seventeen, like or twenty sixteen, I qualified for the Olympics. Twenty seventeen got some good medals, some good performances, um, but then like jumped up to the next level, like won a Grand Prix in tunis in um well, i won a world cup for my first tournament in hong kong and won a uh, the grand prix in tunis then got silver in dusseldorf in the uh, the grand slam there you know and and managed to get into the top 10 in the world for the first time in my career and maintain that for the last few years you know it's only recently that i've dropped out of it but it's um Yeah, I I really feel like I jumped to the next level to the point also where other people have sort of said to me, like, oh, you know, it just seems like things are so much better for you now and you you, you're able to do more and you can you're hitting a better level.
0: I think for me, I I definitely felt like you started to I don't know whether it was an age thing, but almost like you grew into the weight category as well. Hmm. Because I know at 90s you you had results. But I think for me, when you looked such a better athlete at under hundreds, you know, your judo looks so much stronger. And I don't know whether it's whether you managed to get yourself into a happier place or whether that had a a big difference. But from a, a judo fan perspective, I know when I was watching, I was watching you fight, you did it seemed like you were a much more settled yeah. fighter. That's a, a good way of putting it.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Well, there's no, you know, you only have so much energy, mate. And if some of that energy is out working, and some of that energy is wondering if you're going to be able to be selected for something or you're going to be, you know, if some of that energy's elsewhere, like there's only so much you can put into competing and fighting and, um, mm but when everything is a much more settled position and things are a lot more balanced and you can really just gung-ho focus on what you've got to do, you know, I don't think there's any, um, I don't think there's any surprise really that, that, that brings out the best of people, you know, and, and it enables you for like a day-to-day basis to like, you don't have to think there's less things to think about. You can do a little bit extra time at training if you need to, you, you can, um, you can go into more detail. You're not running from one thing to the next. You know, there's there's a lot of benefits from that situation, you know, and and and, and it um and just being like a more settled, happy, balanced person, I think is you know, is it is a really like beneficial thing for an athlete, you know? Mm. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Ben. I think so with with your leg, what do you think What's the process for you now? Do you think you're going to be in a position now to get back for the games? What, where, where are you at?
1: So I think at the moment the the surgeon um, says thinks I could be back in competition in four months, which would mean I oh. could potentially get back for the worlds before, like a month before the games. Thing is, I'm doing I know I'm doing everything I possibly can to bring this like get this as good as I possibly can. Get this leg as good as I can, um, but I'm also aware that you know things can happen which can slow things down, so I, I know that I'm doing everything I possibly can and using that four months as a, a target. He even said it could be less, but yeah. we don't necessarily know. And also, with judo, you've got to think, um, it's not a linear sport, it's not <laughs> sprinting. I'm not going to be, yeah. you know, if so, there's a lot more things that you've got to. Um, think about, and you've got to compensate for that. You know, somebody's going to be trying to on my leg, you know, like, and, and there's mm. there's difficulties with that, and psychological things that I've got to get used to, and probably a lot more randori than say a sprinter would have. But um, no, I'm going to use that as a as a guideline, and just do everything I can, like for the next sort of, you know, three four months, and see where we get to. You know, it's in some ways it's an opportunity to come into the games and come into those tournaments you know if if i still am in qualification um to come into those tournaments like on fire if you know what i mean like in real like really motivated really passionate and really like firing on on all cylinders because when i got to the games in rio i like i said earlier it's so taxing to do all those tournaments and like and like I think my adrenals were just completely smashed. I was just completely knackered. I went on holiday for four or five days afterwards and then came back to training and there was nothing there. I was just Mm -hmm. like, it was trying to like, it was trying to build a house again on like terrible foundations. I were just trying to polish what there was there, but there wasn't any, there wasn't much there anymore. Um, But so the benefit of this position is like, you know, there's not much benefit to not being able to do judo for a couple of months, but I can be in really good nick. I can be really fit, really strong and come in like chomping at the bit. Whereas I know people who are towards the back of that qualification group will be looking over their shoulder, will be knackered, will be stressed. Um, and I won't have that. So I'm just going to try and, you know, see see the positive sides of it and give it a go, mate. That's all, we, all I can do really. Just give it a go and, if I fall out of the qualification, it would be you know difficult to take, and it's unfortunate. But also, we do a sport where we slam into people for a living, and sometimes bits fall off. You know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I yeah, it's 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 a like, touch wood. I've I've been pretty lucky with in terms of like big structural injuries in my career, and believe it or not, this is in terms of leg breaks, this is about as good as it gets. I have two clean breaks, one of the fibula, one of the tibia. Um, If it had been like a spiral fracture or it had come through the skin, I'm looking at a lot longer. So like Tiger Woods um, did it and my surgeon was basically saying that he's going to be out for a lot, lot longer than I would be. He said, because mine, they've been able to stabilize it with um, a titanium rod immediately and Realistically, like I was walking the next day on crutches, you know. Yeah. So, whereas for him, he's he's done both legs. He, you know, there's a lot more difficulty to that. So, yeah, mate, it's it's a challenge. It's an opportunity to, you know, to come into the games flying, and you know, I'll give it every, everything I can, really.
0: Yeah, well, Ben, I appreciate you taking the time, mate, and I do wish you the very best of recovery. And if the games go ahead, I wish you the best of luck. Thanks for thanks for taking the time.
1: No, thank you very much, mate. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, <sighs> no, I uh, I hope I am at the games, and I'll, I'll do everything I can when I get there.
0: Cheers, Ben. Best of luck. Thanks, mate. So here we are, the end of podcast three, and yeah, it was great insight into the mindset of somebody who wants to go to the games you know and stuff that we don't think about with guys wanting to train prepare get to the events you know he's trying to qualify for an olympic games and he is not sure whether they're going to make it to a country to get to a training event or the competition and we sort of take it for granted don't we we don't really know what they're having to go through just to fight on that one day. And it's really easy to watch the competition and maybe see somebody lose or see somebody win and make up a split decision on, you know, they should have done better or they could have done this, they could have done that. Just to get there at the moment seems like a humongous task. And yeah, it it, it was really, really insightful. And I'm glad, I'm glad Ben gave us the time to talk about it. Um, and I hope you guys you know you appreciate the the level of honesty that he he gave across there, and you know he he had to make decisions to to give himself the best chance um and yeah full respect to ben well done i I, I wish him the best of luck with the with the the recovery, and I suppose since the interview, I've been thinking quite a lot about it, and especially now it seems like there's an end in sight for us, uh, mere mortals getting back on the mat and and doing judo again, and I was definitely thinking about some of the athletes that I work with and and the kids and stuff, and I know everybody is going to want to get back on the mat and do randori and I guess for me, I just there's big alarm bells ringing already for me. Um, because judo is such a hard sport, it's such a complicated sport as well. And like the skill level, the fitness, the control, the timing, everything that goes in, all the skills that you develop over the time to get your your techniques working in round competition, they take time to, to hone those skills. And most people would have had a year off the mat. So that's a year of growing, you know, of not being on the mat with the feeling, the the movement, you you won't have been thrown yourself, your coordination will be slightly off. And the the worry is that people will rush back into Randori and possibly injure themselves. And Obviously, like I don't want to be one of these people that you know put a down on things, but I think it should be something that we all consider as coaches or clubs or athletes. Um, how are we going to get back on the mat? And it's fine with so if you're running your socially distance classes, getting your getting your movements, your fitness and stuff like that going. But how quickly are you going to get your guys back on doing randori? And as I said I've been thinking about it and. I, for me, I want to go through quite a lot of Ichikomi, quite a lot of Nagakami, get that feeling back and then going in. And I know I won't be able to wait long before all the players will want to go and do the round-dory. Um, but what's your thoughts as coaches? Are you just going to get straight back in, start doing round-dory? I know um, all the, the home nations want the, the higher-level players back doing round-dory, but are they at more risk of injury? Um because as well, they're more capable. So they're more capable, they're gonna be growing a lot more, you know, so there has to be a lot more risk to that as well. Um, But I suppose, you know, it's good that we're gonna get back on the mat, I want us to get back on the mat, and I really wish that when we do get back on the mat, we're all able to get back, uh, hit the ground running. But yeah, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. What do you think about getting back on the mat? Doing Randall are you excited? Are you nervous? Um, but yeah, no, thanks again, guys. Really, really good. Some great messages uh, from you guys online. I'm going to do a little shout out to Roanne Ford, um, Janice Knight and Robert Price. Thanks, guys, for sending me some great messages after Becky's episode. Um, if you've not listened to that one go back episode 2 that was, that was a really really good episode I enjoyed that um, and obviously the first episode with Darren was pretty pretty good way to kick the podcast off Um, But don't forget, guys, you can contact me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, My email is vince at vinceskillcorn.co.uk. And if you're looking for other judo information, check out the judo blog, uh, which is vinceskillcorn.co.uk. There's loads of articles on there. But until next time, I hope you guys stay safe. I'm looking forward to a bit more information about getting on the mats. But, yeah, let's, uh, let's hope it's not too long. Speak to you all soon. Judo Talk. Talk. Judo Talk you